You're listening to Foresight, a podcast about making work better. I'm your co-host, Mark Edgar, a former consultant and coach who now works as a chief people officer on a mission to make work more human. And I'm Naomi Teitelman, a former big firm consultant and HR executive, now striving to make work better one organization and one leader at a time. Every week, we'll discuss the latest trends that are impacting the new world of work to help you be a better leader for the future. Welcome to Foresight, a podcast about making work better. My name is Mark Edgar, and I'm one of your co-hosts. So Naomi and I are on a bit of a break right now. We like to think it's a well-deserved break, recharging our batteries after what's been a busy few months, both with Foresight, our newsletter, Foresight, the podcast, our new HR community for senior leaders, and of course, our day jobs as well. We are excited about launching Foresight, the podcast season two in September, and we're going to have some great guests, some great conversations, and hopefully some great insights. In the meantime, we wanted to share some of our favourite episodes from season two. And this week, I'm picking episode nine, where Naomi and I had the opportunity to provide some background to my decision to move back into the corporate world. Now, this might feel a little bit self-indulgent to pick it as a favourite episode, so I should probably explain a little bit why I chose it. So I had spent the last 30 years working in HR at the risk of ageing myself, and the last three and a half years working in consulting, which I'd really enjoyed. And it wasn't until I started to have this conversation with Naomi and the organic nature of it that I really got a good sense of why I'd made the decision to move back into a chief people officer role. And it was a big deal for me at the time, and it was something that I'd given a lot of thought to. And here I am six months later, and I have to say I'm really pleased with the decision that I made. So why I like this episode was really that it was a reminder both of just how amazing it is to be able to partner with people like Naomi, also the opportunity I have to think these things through out loud on the podcast. So that's what made it a particularly favorite episode. I'm sure many of you have these sorts of decisions that you have to work through when it comes to your career. So hopefully you get some great insights from this episode. And don't forget to rate us if you get a chance and also to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on season two when it starts in September. I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you all soon. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Foresight, a podcast about making work better, brought to you by Future Forward. My name is Mark Edgar, and as always, delighted to be joined by my co-host, Naomi Teitelman. Hi, Naomi. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Good to see you, Mark. And your big headphones again. We are consistent with the big headphones. These are sticking. I I haven't found myself using them because I did have these already, and I've kind of dusted them off a little bit, but I haven't actually been brave enough to use them in meetings yet because they do kind of provide quite clear sound for me, but also at the same time make me look a bit silly. So I haven't been brave enough to do that, but you get the pleasure of them, which is is good for you. Yes. And soon enough, we will share them on LinkedIn for all of our listeners as well. Yeah, we will do the headphone shame or something. So the reveal, the big reveal. The reveal. We're doing something a bit different today, aren't we? This is our actually our first episode where we have a guest. We've been teasing this for a while and the fact that we're going to have guests and I think everybody knows who today's guest is, which we'll get into in a second, but exciting to do something a bit different in terms of our format. Yes, super excited. I had the pleasure of interviewing Gustavo Rossetti, who is the CEO of Fearless Culture and also the author of his new book, Remote Not Distant, which I am a massive fan of. I've mentioned it in many different forums, but it's just a great, pragmatic, relevant handbook for this new world of work. And so I was giddy over interviewing Gustavo. I think what he's 
sharing with the world is just so important. And so can't wait to share that with all of you. And on that note, we actually also have our very first exciting contest to announce. So our first Ooh, guest. A giveaway. A yes, giveaway. a giveaway. So not just our first guest, but also our first contest. So as you, as I just mentioned, Gustavo's book is, is one of my favorites of this year and of the, the past couple of years. And as a thank you to our listeners, the first 10 listeners who share this episode on LinkedIn and tag one of us, that's Mark Edgar or Naomi Titleman, will get a free signed copy of Gustavo's book, Remote, Not Distant. So nice. very exciting, exciting, very exciting contest. So the first 10 listeners who share a link to this episode of Foresight will get a copy of the book. Nice. Yes. And don't forget to tag us so that we see that you've actually done that. Excellent. Thank you in advance for sharing. And while you're in there, you can rate and review and subscribe and help us get our guests and and their messages out to more and more people. So this makes me think that people are going to stop listening right now so that they can go and kind of do that link on LinkedIn. So hopefully they'll come back to listen to the rest because why don't we jump straight into that interview? That sounds great. Welcome to Foresight. I am so excited to welcome our very first podcast guest today, Gustavo Rossetti, who is the CEO of Fearless Culture and author of Remote Not Distant, which I was telling Gustavo before we hit record that it's kind of been my favorite new go-to handbook for de- for designing and managing a hybrid working culture. So not just a culture in general, but a culture that's relevant for today's world of work where a lot of companies are contemplating and having various success with implementing a hybrid or remote culture. So welcome to Foresight, Gustavo. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. The pleasure is all mine. Looking forward to a conversation and thank you for the words used to describe my book because handbook is actually what I had in mind when I wrote it. Yeah, it's so amazing. And I love that you've been so generous with all of these practical tools and templates and stories to really bring the concepts to life. Because I feel that, I don't know if you're finding the same, organizations are really struggling with how to bring this to life. And they're so focused on the theoretical and the, you know, the tactical around, you know, how many days in the office that they're not giving enough space to just let people try and learn and and figure it out for themselves, which I don't know if there's a the right balance there. And we'll get into some of that discussion as we continue our conversation. But I just think the book is just so timely and so relevant. And really, you know, even if you don't read the whole thing, I would I would recommend to all of our listeners, you know, go get a copy and just have it on hand because there's some really, really great tools in there. And so thank you again for being so generous with your your thinking and and putting those tools together for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. So where are you joining us from today, Gustavo? I see you're in um, your home office. Where are you joining yeah. us from? From Chicago. This is my office, office and home. So I've been working from here for the past five or almost six years now. I mean, we do a lot of remote work, but also in person, but usually clients don't come to my office. I go to theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. So I'm joining you from Toronto and same. I've, I've actually been working in a hybrid working model since the very beginning of my career. So I'm a huge proponent and really, really excited for our conversation today. What we do on our Foresight podcast in each episode is we start out with a check-in. So today's check-in is related to hybrid working. And so what I would say is, Many employees 
say that not commuting is one of the best benefits of working remotely. So what is your favorite thing to do when you're not spending time commuting, when you're working from your home office? Yeah, I practice what I call the virtual commuting. So in the past, when I used to work in downtown Chicago, basically I stopped driving because of the snow. It was crazy. It took me long hours. So I started taking the train. And they were like a one mile, mile and a half from the train station to my previous office. So I used to walk. And walking along the river was a perfect time for me to reflect, to think about things. So I try to create, when I wake up in the morning, I create my virtual commute. I spend time doing nothing. I spend time reflecting. I may go for a walk or not, but in the end, my mind is in that transition mindset in which I'm preparing for what's next before I get busy when I start my day. That's so great. It's so great to get into those routines and those rituals. So I think, you know, as we were home during the pandemic, I think a lot of people kind of were having a hard time separating between, okay, I'm rolling out of bed and into my first meeting. And so how do I actually, so maybe some people choose deliberately to sleep instead of commuting. So that can be their ritual, but really figuring out that that transition ritual to go from sleeping to working is really very important. Okay, so let's get right into it because we have so much to talk about, so much to talk about. I, I Like I said, I loved your book so much and there's so many different questions I have. So first of all, your book is called Remote Not Distant, which is a really clever title. So how did you come up with that title and what does it mean for you? Absolutely. I was exploring different titles and actually invited people to vote on the title. And that was the name that wasn't the most chosen, but was the second most chosen <laughs> So usually when I do this kind of stuff that involve people in the process, I involve people throughout the whole writing and publishing journey, I ask for feedback, not for people to decide for me, you know? And, and I had titles that were more descriptive, you know, like a how to build a whatever. But in the end, I like the metaphor. I like metaphors a lot because they provoke emotions, it connect with people. But most importantly, this is about understanding that we might be working from different locations, physically remote, but that doesn't mean that we should be feel disconnected from our team members. And that's basically the main hypothesis and main point I'm trying to prove in the book. That's great. I love it. I love it so much. You're right. It evokes emotion. It does kind of counter some of those phrases that we've heard from senior leader, leaders saying that you can't be connected if you're working in a remote environment. So I really, really love the imagery of remote. We're remote, but we're not distant from one another. I love that. So what do you think the big opportunity is for hybrid working and why now? I think the biggest opportunity is to rethink how we work. And one thing that's important is the pandemic was a turning point because it accelerated trends that were already in place. Mm -hmm. And leaders can either see this as hiatus, basically, okay, for two years and so on and so forth, we have to change how we work, or basically see that as an opportunity to re radically transform how we work. I think that the opportunity is to be open-minded, but unfortunately, we see either leaders that are on the wow, we need to redesign how we work. And leaders that think, oh, the pandemic's over, let's get back to how we used to work for decades, mm -hmm. which is stupid. I mm -hmm. think that we still think in one size fits all kind of approaches. No, remember the nine to five, that model was created many, many, many decades ago and still people use it, even though it was never a nine to five, it was eight to six or nine to 10, but whatever. Right, yeah. But it's the one size. So when people think about hybrid, they tend to find the, the new nine to five. So they think about, ah, three days in the office, two days from home. And that's stupid with uh, 
due respect because they're not thinking in terms of how to design the work day based on the work. They're finding a structure and we need to be more flexible. It, it basically design the work day around how do we, what are we trying to accomplish? What type of work are we doing? So maybe by the type of work that my team needs to do in the next few weeks, we don't need to get together. Or maybe we need to get together for a full week to craft a challenge that requires that we brainstorm and we collaborate and it's very critical that we get together. So the biggest opportunity not only is to redesign how you work, but design it around the work itself, not the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And so I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that you know, technology has advanced and changed in such meaningful ways. And, you know, just look at how much we leverage Zoom and Teams, right, and remote meeting technology. We never even thought to use that in this capacity before the pandemic. So it's wonderful that it's highlighted kind of the possibilities of technology, but we're not using it nearly enough and nearly optimized enough, right? So we went from one extreme where everyone was expected to be in the office every day, and then we went to another extreme where everybody was home And so hybrid, to me, is a really happy middle ground where, just like you said, you can choose your own adventure based on what your day, what your week, what your month, what your role entails, right? And we have the technology to support that. So it's so important that thought leaders like yourself are on this mission to really change the narrative around this and make it more about, you know, the outcomes and the deliverables and the purpose of an organization And location is just simply an enabler of all that, as opposed to, you know, being distracted by where people are every day. So so I think I think you bring up such really important points. So one of the things I think organizations are struggling with is really delineating between remote first or remote only and hybrid working. So how do you distinguish between the two and what do organizations need to focus on differently in a remote-only environment versus a hybrid environment? The most important thing is people need to understand there's a whole spectrum of different hybrid models. You read my book, so I describe different scenarios. And the most important thing is which one is right for you. So there's not a right or wrong model. It's hard to struggle from 100% in person to 100% remote because it's not just about the technology, but actually the mindset. So, mm-hmm. for example, rethinking how we work is and collaborate asynchronously, how we become better at documenting and a lot of stuff that required training. So I think it's important if someone thinks, oh, maybe we can become remote first or 100% remote, there's need to be a transition. However, I would recommend that we try to avoid the three to one or four one, that kind of rigid model because then people are going to get stuck into a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is that we need to dis- discuss what's the right model with our team members. For different team members, for different teams, they might need a different schedule. The most important aspect is companies still talk about office versus home, right? Mm-hmm. I like to eradicate the office and the home because... There are many more possibilities to remote and many more possibilities to in-person. We can work in a restaurant. We can work together in a, a hotel. There are many places for build to get together. And also there are many choices for me to work remotely. Yeah, so absolutely. I can, depending on where I live, I can decide to work from a different location from the same company. I'm in the office, but I'm in the same office as my team members. The other element is schedule flexibility. What people want the most is not just to have the right to choose where they work from, but most important, when. Mm-hmm. And that's the magic of a hybrid or remote and all the options in between, which is people can 
redesigned their workday around their personal life, their personal needs. Yeah. So if I have kids and I want to take them to school, if I have an elderly person that I need to take care of, well, I can adjust. Or if I'm a early riser or night owl, to your point, some people might decide to sleep instead of commute. Some people decide to wake even earlier to maybe use their peloton. So let them try that. Of course, that requires that we find some common ground to adjust my personal preferences with what the team needs. So it's Mm -hmm. not free for all. It's finding, okay, this is how I want as an individual to work and everyone else. And then we find some common ground to make sure that the team can collaborate and communicate well. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of that. Such important points. And, you know, at first, you know, there's this new trend around anchor days, right? So everyone wants to know, when is my anchor day in the office? And at first I had a really, a really bad reaction to that. So, you know, you mentioned flexibility is what people want and they want to feel empowered to do their work when and where they want. So anchor days is just implementing a new rule that may not work for everybody, right? But what I did notice is that, you know, those who were not sold on in-person were coming into the office just to make their manager happy. And then being on Zoom calls all day made them very disenfranchised. And they said, I'm never going to do this again, right? And on the flip, managers were frustrated that people weren't coming to the office for this very specific meeting that they thought everybody should be in the office for without actually communicating that that was their expectation, by the way. So, you know, (laughs) anchor anchor days could be, I, I kind of liken them to training wheels where let's be okay with, with anchor days for a limited period of time while people people get into the flow of, okay, this is when I need to be in person with people versus this is when I don't actually need to be in person with people. And I think people are still struggling to figure that out for themselves. And so I'm okay with anchor days if they actually bring people together, energize people. By the way, like free lunches and free cupcakes are not a sustainable way to get people into the office. Let me just say that. But, you know, I do believe that that there is good reason to be together in person for a lot of teams. So, you know, I'm okay with that as a temporary hold while we figure out for ourselves and for our teams when is best to be in person versus remotely. So are you okay with anchor days? How do you feel about anchor days? I think that once again, it's not what companies do is why they do that. And mm. I think that they need to, we need to switch the conversation and stop talking about the, the, the when and the where, most importantly, to what for or why. So yeah. what type of work are we trying to accomplish as a team and what's the best model to accomplish that work? So we need to stop talking about the, it's like a, it, the question is the type of work that we're trying to accomplish. Is it challenging? It, for example, when we need to align a team because we're having a, a, a misunderstanding, so there's a lot of friction. Maybe it's time to say, hey, let's really discuss like at that senior executive level, if they lost their true north, well, mm-hmm. let's get together to discuss what are we trying to accomplish with our business. That requires maybe not a one hour or one day conversation, maybe a longer time spent redefining the direction of the company. But simply to bring people to the office because the leader wants to share what's going on. I mean, you can do Mm -hmm. that not only remotely, but asynchronously. Yes. Record your town hall and people can watch it whenever they want. So Slack does that. Town halls are recorded. People can join whenever they want. But then the leaders commit to answer everyone's questions, regardless of when they come. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of that. Yeah. So don't force people 
to your point, food, I mean, it was a tactic that people used when people were in the office to make them stay longer, free sushi at 8 p.m. So yes, you have to walk later. (laughs) But now people see it coming, they don't want to do that, no? Yeah. You want them in the office, rather than pushing them to in the office, invite them for a reason. People are not Mm -hmm. stupid. Create a reason in which they get together, people are going to show up. Yeah, yeah, such an important point. So not only telling people they have to be in the office on Tuesday, and really not even only telling people why they need to be in the office on Wednesday or Tuesday, but also what they should look to do in the office on Wednesday when they're there, right? So I love your point, and and we're going to talk a little bit about your six modes of of work, because I think it's really important to break things down that way. But just making sure that people, when they do come to the office, have a reason to be there. And I love your point about sharing information is something that can be done asynchronously. It can be done remotely. It can be done via, you know, a, a packet or a video even, you know, record yourself you know, explaining what you want to share with the with the team. And on the flip, when you bring people to the office, if you do have an executive team meeting or whatever the case is, making sure you're building some time in there to actually actually gather and and exchange human energy, as we like to say, right? So mm-hmm. if you're inviting everybody to the office to a meeting where it's pure information sharing, then that's not really taking full advantage of people being together. So I think at the end of the day, we just need to be a lot more deliberate with our time. And if we are saying Tuesday is our in-office day, it actually puts quite a bit of pressure on the leader to make sure that people, you don't, you don't just tell people why, but they feel why it's important to be together in person. Because you can, you know, you can continue telling them it's important to be together until your face turns blue. But if they don't feel it from them, for themselves, they're never going to be on board. And it's going to be a constant discussion about location Versus where we need to get to, which is what are the objectives we need to achieve? What are the outcomes that we want to achieve as a team? So really important points there, Gustavo. Thank you. So let's talk about two of my least favorite red herrings about hybrid working. So the first one is culture can't be preserved when everyone is remote. I hate that one. What about you? Do you like that one? I don't agree. First of all, because I'm going to flip the coin and say, that meant that every company that was working in the office before had a great culture. And I can tell you through research that the majority of companies didn't. Yeah, exactly. So it, like that's based on the, not even talking about if you can build a culture remotely or not, but actually if people assumed that their culture was already good because people worked together. I always mm-hmm. said that proximity doesn't guarantee a belonging or connection. And I use an analogy that people don't like, but it's true. There are many couples that have been married and living together for many decades and they share the same roof, maybe the same bed, but there's no magic, there's no connection. So being together doesn't guarantee success. So you you need to be intentional to create that belonging, that connection. And that happens if you're working in the same space, if you're working remotely or a combination of both. I love that analogy so much. And I'm going to use that one, Gustavo. So thank you for that. So a couple of things that I personally really don't like about this statement that we've seen quite we've seen quite frequently. So first is that culture is something that needs to be evolved for the times, right? So it not it, it's not always something that we need to preserve. To your point, if we had a terrible culture before the pandemic and when everybody was in person, then why do we want to preserve that culture? It's really time to evolve that culture to make sure that it supports the values and the purpose that we need as an organization. And the second is that a hybrid model implies, in my mind, that 
everyone is in the office at least a portion of the time. So I think still what's happening is people are thinking in such extremes, right? They're saying hybrid model means nobody's around or hybrid model means that I have to go to the office all the time. And it really is a best of both worlds, right? To your point, it really is an opportunity to be together and in person when that makes sense to and remote and not together when it makes sense to do that. So so that's what I, I have a hard time with that statement when I hear that, you know, we need everybody back in the office five days a week because otherwise our culture won't survive. Well, maybe your culture shouldn't survive if that's the way you're looking to manage culture. Absolutely. I think that first of all, I would ask him, like, why is your culture suffering or how can you show me? I remember uh, the CEO of a large insurance company, no names mentioned, that they came to me and said, hey, I need you to help me because people are not coming to the office. I said, mm. okay, I mean, tell me more because you're telling them to come and they're not showing up. They're not doing their work. No, no, they're working. They're doing great. I say, okay, let's talk about metrics. How are your sales? Oh, sales have grown in the past year or so, 20%. Profitability, great. This, so all the key metrics were doing great and great and great. So I say, what's the problem? Yeah, What's the exactly. issue? So, Give me a why. What do you want people? No, because they need to, because I mm. want them to say, well, maybe you need to. <laughs> you're not giving me a reason. That's a personal reason. So I'm saying it's not that you shouldn't ask them or invite them to, but they say you lack a purpose. If you don't come up with a real reason why people should do that, then people are not going to show up. And if they do, to your point, they're going to be disengaged. Mm-hmm. I think the Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO, posted a question a couple of months ago that was really, really telling. He said, if the office didn't exist, would we invented it? And if we invented it, what for? Mm-hmm. So I think this is the challenge. I'm not saying kill the office. You have an office. Maybe you need to rethink it. Maybe you let, need to let go of half of the, the the footage that you have. But in the end, it's about what's the purpose of the office. And also, the office is, think of it as not your culture, but one element that you can use to create culture. But yeah. the same way you can use it positively, it can harm you. So don't <laughs> abuse it. Yeah, and no, that's for great. For example, that they pay employees to give them like a co-working space so people can go and work from a formal working place, not from their home, but not in the company's office, if you know what I mean. And they actually yeah. can meet colleagues from the same company that live in the same neighborhood. So there are many ways to rethink work. And I think this is a possibility. Of course, if you have a lease contract and you don't want to let go of that, probably you want to maximize that. But I think it would be a mistake to force people rather than invite them to say, okay, how can we make sense of all the assets we have, office being just one of them? Yeah, such important points. And I too have had experience with leaders who say, you know, I'm having an issue. I can't get people into the office. And why is that the issue, right? So asking the question, what is missing from you not being in the office? Do you have a sense of what you're missing or what you're not delivering because people aren't coming to the office? And in general, the answer is not very well thought through, right? It's just a gut instinct that says people in the office are more productive, which I know I know there's lots of research coming out right now that says that that's not true. Especially mm-hmm. with knowledge workers, you know, it's very difficult to measure what we mean by productivity. And, you know, we don't want a bunch of people moving a stapler from one office to the other all day. Right? We want people <laughs> to be able to balance their days and work when they are most most productive and most efficient. And, 
you know, part of it is is a bit of lazy leadership that says, okay, I feel better about myself as a leader if I see my people in front of me, regardless of what they're doing. Maybe they are just moving a stapler from one desk to another or playing solitaire, but at least I see them in front of me, so they must be working. So we've got to shift that. I know, I'm, and if I may add, I think that one of the issues also that you just mentioned is leaders don't want to be, many leaders don't want to be at home, which mm-hmm. is a different issue. Why? Because they might have personal issues. Maybe they're used to all the perks and benefits of having a huge office to having a network. So I remember the very beginning of the pandemic, many leaders were struggling because they didn't know how to use a printer. They didn't have anyone to ask for coffee or food because they're forced you know what, take care of yourself. And they have to do a lot of stuff. Like, for example, being just a rectangle on a Zoom or team meetings call, basically neutralized level that playing field when for them, they feel much more important when they are in their corner office and people have to go not through one by two or sometimes three assistants to get to meet with them. So they yeah. like that power play. And of course, they are suffering because a hybrid workplace neutralizes that environment. Yeah, absolutely. A great point. And hopefully, you know, we're coming out of that era of, you know, I am defined by my parking spot and my corner office. But unfortunately, it's true. Even if leaders don't even realize for themselves, that's why they want people in the office and that's why they want to be in the office. In many cases, that probably is still the case, unfortunately. So let's go after my second least favorite red herring about hybrid working, which is collaboration is best suited in person. That's another one of my pet peeves when people say that, which is clearly a sweeping generalization. We already talked about kind of the asynchronous work that can be done that can facilitate facilitate collaboration in a much more equitable and a much more efficient way. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your six modes of work that you refer to in your book, because I think it's really important in breaking down what we mean by collaboration. So can you share with our listeners a bit about those six modes of work? Yeah, I'm going to talk about the model without going to each of them because we're going to need a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, The most important thing is to your point that we are into what many experts call the collaboration trap. So at some point, 10, 15 years ago, many leaders thought that, ah, the solution to all company problems is collaboration. Mm -hmm. So every time I remember many clients coming to me and say, hey, I want my team not only to collaborate, but to hyper-collaborate, you know, because they see that collaboration is the solution for everything. And now we are ending in a moment that people are basically forced to collaborate, not only with your team, but with other teams, with external vendors, with suppliers, with cross-functional teams. So There's so much pressure for people to collaborate that actually collaborations means being involved in lots of email exchanges, a lot of meetings, a lot of calls that go nowhere. Mm -hmm. So the cost of collaboration, the time spent, actually is not worth that investment because the outcome is really bad. Mm -hmm. So my model talks about two things. First, quality of work, deep work versus shallow work. Deep work is that high quality work that's really impactful, that's going to create added value. That in order for you, either individually or as a team, to perform, you need to be focused. You cannot do that type of work if you're jumping from one Zoom call to a meeting to an email to a Slack message every 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever. So the point is, my understanding is people and teams need to spend approximately, this is a rule of thumb, 70% of their time doing deep work and the 30 doing what I call shallow work. Mm. The reality, every time I run a, a, a training or I'm doing consulting, I ask teams, 
every team is working the other way around. They're spending most of the time in doing minutia, day-to-day operations, meetings that take the status reports, updating their managers, providing information that people should have been able to find it on their own, calls, answering emails, reporting. So doing little stuff that at some point it's not affecting the work rather than focusing on great work. Mm-hmm. So that's the first axis, the deep versus shallow work. On the other axis, the x-axis, we have the me versus we. So once again, we, to your point, feels we all need to be at the same time, real time, and the same room working together. And many times collaborating doesn't mean not I can collaborate on my own. We meet as a team, we get together, we define who has to tackle what, and then we spread out and then see you in a week or two months. And then we don't need to collaborate uh, synchronously. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest shift. So the different modes I define is the most important are you can do deep work together as a team. And that requires, of course, working at the same time, whether in the same room or not. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of deep work that you can do on your own time uh, without having to, to uh, people, no? Yeah. And that's the biggest shift for me. That's great. So so two things there. Number one is collaboration in general is not always the best approach to getting something done, right? And then the second is there's various modes of collaboration and various modes of work that we have to be more deliberate about thinking through, does it make sense to be together or does it make sense to be remotely? And I don't know about you, but even in running workshops, I've learned a lot through the pandemic in terms of there are certain aspects, even of workshops, which we never would have thought that those were things that could run virtually, right? But I find it so much more impactful when we have an asynchronous and digital component where people can kind of, you know, put their thoughts into, you know, whatever tool or whatever platform. And then when we get together, we're actually talking about where there's disagreement and where the themes are and what's bubbling up to the surface, right? And I love your canvases for for facilitating some of those workshops in person. And it doesn't have to be the entire thing, right? So I think, you know, we find ourselves exhausted when we focus together on something, whether it be on Zoom or in person, for hours on end. So, you know, breaking it down into the various components of what type of collaboration we need and what type of work we need is really is really important as we evolve our our models into into the 2023. I think 2023 is the year to really optimize some of this stuff. I was hoping more would be optimized in 2022, but I think 2023 is the year that organizations really need to get on with work and really focus on kind of optimizing the hybrid model and optimizing what can be better done in all of those in in your X and Y axis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that like in any change in human history, we're going to see like a pendulum. So some people are going to go back to the extreme. We see what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter. So Twitter was the first company to basically had a work from anywhere policy Right. right. One extreme. And now Elon Musk went, killed everything and went to the other extreme. No way yeah. we're doing the same place. So we're going to see a lot of that, but also we see a lot of companies that are making a lot of progress and accelerating their learning. So hopefully in 2023, and maybe companies are going to reconcile both models and move forward. And most importantly, stop fighting, stop resisting. Now that's the, that's the key of everything. Yeah, absolutely. There's still way too much of a us versus them mentality in organizations these days. So I really hope to get over that and get to a place where where we can agree on the outcomes and objectives. Yes, maybe sometimes people won't show up to a meeting that you thought was really important for them to be in person for, but 
that's a learning, right? And that's an that's an opportunity to iterate and learn and do different the next time. So nothing is really earth shattering. And if it really is earth shattering, then you need to be very specific about, I expect everybody to be in the office for this meeting, unless there's an exception, in which case come talk to me, right? So I think communication is just so important as we transition, especially as we have different points of view all over the map. And it's just a it's just a human way to get to a model that works for everyone. And I also don't like when people say hybrid models will never make everybody happy. It actually should make everybody happy because everybody should feel empowered to work and deliver and know what their outcomes are that they're trying to achieve and work in their own ways to get there. Absolutely. I think that one key thing that leaders if fail to understand is people thrive when they have freedom and they have autonomy. So the moment you have a meeting that's mandatory, you're really are, are removing that sense of autonomy for people to say, I don't need to be there. So my advice to my clients always is no meeting should be mandatory. If people mm. feel that they need to be there, let them be there. If they don't want to, it's like if you're organizing your birthday party, you would never say to your friends, Hey, this is mandatory. You need to show up because in the morning you're going to say, Oh man, this is going to be so boring. <laughs> right. So scarcity plays best. If you say, hey, we have a meeting and only six people can show up. No, when I, for example, run workshops for my clients, they say, hey, people usually don't show up. What do we do? I say, well, tell them that only 20 people can participate. And the first 20 to sign up are the ones who are going to be part of the program. Then immediately people sign up. If you tell them it's open, everyone can participate, then no one shows up. So interesting. Yeah. So interesting. A bit of reverse psychology there. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that point, to tell you the truth, because I find meetings are broken, right? And we can have a whole other conversation about meetings. So, you know, I am a fan of really thinking through who not maybe not in a workshop that's more of a development opportunity, but for meetings that there are decisions that need to be made. It, I find it's really important to be very deliberate about who is on that invite list and have them mandatory, right? And so, eliminating some of the optional attendees who are generally there because we don't want to hurt their feelings. I think for some meetings, it actually may, might make more sense to have, you know, more mandatory invite participants versus versus optional. What do you what do you feel about that? It, optional, definitely. You shouldn't have people that are optional. Either you are invited because you care. It's like everything's connected to how we make decisions. For example, how we communicate. When it comes to email, why do we have so many people copied on email? For me, right. If I'm copying it, I feel I, I'm just FYI, I don't need to act on it. Yeah. But I think that it's based on fear. On one hand, you know, people are afraid if I don't copy my boss, I don't copy certain managers or colleagues, they're going to feel left behind or there's going to be something about it. Yeah. So that's fear that allows people to involve a lot of people into decision making, into meetings, into email threads that don't need to be there. So that's one point. Also, when it comes to decision, I think that many companies in the hybrid or remote first environment have discovered that it's more effective to make decisions asynchronously. So I can mm. write, this is the context. This is what I'm trying to do and let people chime in at their own time. And decisions are really not only better informed, but actually people have more time to reflect. Mm. Get people Interesting. So for example, Netflix don't use meetings to make decisions, mm. right? Even for and Amazon, one thing that they do is they have what they call silent meetings and they invite people to read a document. It's on a PowerPoint because PowerPoints are forbidden in Amazon. It's a well-written document with full sentences, full verbs. Sure. And people have to spend 15 minutes going through a document, making comments, questions, etc. And then the conversation starts. You can do it in their case, they do it synchronously, but you could have done that asynchronously. 
So in everyone's time. That means that we are inviting people to reflect. When we get into a meeting, sometimes we don't have the facts. We have the pressure to move to something else. Sometimes we rush decision-making. I always say, don't rush decision-making, rush implementation. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where this so interesting. is. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. And and you know, you f- you do find yourself sometimes in meetings where you send out a pre-read and you expect that everybody's read it. And then when you get in the meeting and you realize that half the people haven't read it, then you have to catch everybody up. And that's just really inefficient use of time. So again, being deliberate about what what component we want to take asynchronous and what we need when we get together in person. So maybe there is a certain nuance or or debate that needs to happen and it's better done in person because for whatever reason people don't want their words on paper or they don't want or they express themselves better or there's more kind of back and forth required but you bring up a really good point that it's it's not about assuming again I kind of was assuming that decision making needs to happen in meetings and that's that's not a great assumption either so I think it depends on what the context is and arming our employees and our leaders with all the different options in order to get to their desired outcome. Absolutely. And there's always like a solution. If people have a hard time expressing their ideas in written form, they can record like a voice message or they can right. record a short video and send their thoughts as well. And that it's recorded doesn't mean that there's no back and forth. People can do that. But once again, instead of being in a meeting that becomes maybe two people are discussing an issue and the rest are just watching and saying, hey, what's going on? then it allows to a more inclusive discussion and conversation. Yeah, such great points. So in your book, you refer to, you refer to a few companies that are really getting remote working right. And I, I'm always asked by my clients, kind of who's getting this right right now? So can you share some best practices with our listeners? Yes, absolutely. I think that I mentioned many in the book by many others, which I work, for example, I have a client that's called StrongDM that provides server technology and to many organizations. And they have defined to be a, a, a remote first company. One of the things that they do really great is discipline. And this is the same that I learned from companies like GitLab or from a GoTo that used to be an in-person company and then turned GoTo, the creators of the GoTo meeting software and many others. And they became a, a remote first company when they see or realize, hey, we're doing great, why change No, mm. <laughs> during the pandemic? And discipline and, and freedom are the two most important things that I've uncovered through all those companies. They allow people to, part- for example, go to, they understood that, hey, before making a decision of what our model should look like, they invited people and then they create like six different personas based on people's needs, their age, et cetera, their family composition, where they live. And based on that, they define their different work models mm. for that company. Another company that's interesting is HubSpot, the marketing software company. When they were defining the model, they came up with this idea of having people that are going to have roles that are going to be fully remote, fully in person, and half and half. Mm-hmm. And before I explain what they did, I wrote many times criticizing Citibank that did exactly the same. But what's yeah. the difference? Citibank created three buckets, but then they define the leadership who will fall into each. Mm-hmm. HubSpot define, hey, this is how we see our first attempt to hybrid, but they invited people to choose how they want to work. They didn't assume that because you're on customer service, that it should be full in the office and the other way around. Maybe you're in the tech team, but probably I'm young, I want to build relationships, or my house is not comfortable, and I want to work from the office. So they allow people to define not only when and how they want to work, but also to adapt to their role and their job to that particular experience. 
So interesting. I also was part of a hybrid implementation before the pandemic where we did define different buckets of roles, but we did find that the most equitable way to do that was for leadership and HR to partner in order to implement that. But perhaps the next evolution of that is self-selection. And, you know, before the pandemic, it was it was more of a conversation around real estate footprint. Right. So so that was what was driving the conversation. Now, I think more and more. I mean, talent was also driving the conversation, but it was kind of a secondary objective. And now, you know, I think it really is the primary objective of organizations to really make sure that they're creating an employee value proposition that attracts and retains, you know, top talent. So I think I think organizations do need to really be taking this seriously and not see it as a passing trend. I can't stand when I see articles that say this is a passing fad and we're all going to be in back in the office five days a week. It really, you, truly breaks my heart. Yeah. Who writes that and who's behind those articles? To be honest, mm-hmm. there's a lot of lobby. People are not talking about the issues at hand. I mean, many businesses, I mean, the people that have restaurants, services, the people that have offices, those people want things to go back to how they used to work because of, of the course. Of money. Yeah. And those pushing that narrative. The point to your point, and I love that we're giving the audience a space to have these type of conversations. Is the narrative is about Elon Musk? Everyone's talking about Elon Musk because he's a diva and he's a a, a cool innovator guy, and he's going back. And people say, "Oh, now everyone's going to follow." But few people are talking about the progress that Airbnb have done in a very great, and also, for example, Spotify. One thing that I've never seen like highlighted on headlines. You know what? Since Spotify implemented this work from anywhere policy, women in leadership position have risen to 40%. Wow. So now it's really compelling. Positions are occupied by women that couldn't have happened without a flexible work. So that's huge. Everyone's talking about diversity, change, blah, blah, blah. This is the way you want to encourage diversity. You want to encourage women to have a leadership positions. You need to implement hybrid. And there are many, this is not because Gustavo says it. There's research that a lot of companies have made those changes in a couple of years or less, in yeah. maybe yeah. 18 months because of the hybrid policies, things that bigger companies haven't been able to accomplish in decades because they talk about one thing, but their workplace policies are rigid and are leaving a lot of people outside of the conversation. Minority groups feel safer. They feel that their workplace safe, psychologically safer in a hybrid environment because there is less microaggressions and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. we need to really think about this differently if you really want to move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an important opportunity for us all to seize at all companies. To have some sort of version of this is is really, really critical for all all the reasons you mentioned. So Gustavo, many of our listeners of this podcast are HR professionals. So what do you think the opportunity is for HR? I think that HR need to, first of all, challenge leaders more rather than be the, okay, what do you want? I'm going to help you implement. Mm-hmm. I think they need to talk more to people to try to understand. They need to become the voice of the employee in the good sense and not the voice of the leaders. And I need to understand that their role should be more of a facilitator because once again, when there was a one size fits all, so HR probably defined the model or co-created or implemented based on what their leaders told them. Now they need to let go and they need to allow the team members with their teams to define those work models. And they need to be more of a support and say, hey, how can we make it uh, successful? And also be a good communicator, finding where the insights, what's working team A, and maybe cross-fertilize that experience with our team members and their uh, way around. 
Yeah, so critical. important. So, mm-hmm. so their role changes to facilitate conversations, to facilitate models, to represent why people. The one thing is, why are leaders, 83% of leaders want people back in the office and 80%, close to 80% of people want to work in a flexible. So they're not saying, I don't want to work in the office. They say, I want a flexible environment. Right. So there's a gap. And the moment we the HR managers don't uh, facilitate this type of conversation, Mm-hmm. We're never going to move into the right direction. Yeah, so important. So I heard a few things there. Number one, the role of HR as coach, right? Coaching managers to have those conversations. Number two, dot connectors and facilitators. So really figuring out what's working in one team that can be ported over to another team. And the third one that I thought was really interesting is, you know, we ha- we, we've we gone to kind of multiple times a year pulse surveys in a lot of organizations. And so it's not enough to just report where the gaps are and just highlight that, you know, this the disconnect between managers and employees, but really digging underneath why that's the case and then support. And then it's kind of a full circle and then supporting managers and leaders on closing those gaps and having very difficult conversations. So it's a real it's a real opportunity for HR to be a partner with with our business leaders, with our with our line leaders, and really kind of bring those difficult conversations to life and connect those dots for people. Absolutely. Great. Uh, and I think there's another element which is important for, for HR people, which is, I know that in the past five years or so, design thinking has become a, a, a toolkit that many HR people have using, but I think we need to adopt, HR people need to adopt a more innovative mindset, more of a a trial and error, and mm-hmm. rather than say, "Here, this is the solution." Say, "No, we're going to put different experiments in place. If some go wrong, that's perfect. We're going to kill them. If some have some positive results, how can we iterate and make them better?" And also, leaders are looking for the what's the new solution versus saying, "Hey, no one has figured it out. We're all yeah. trying to uncover different models. What works for this company is not going to work for us." Let's experiment and be ready to screw up so we can learn and and get it better next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not just what works for another company doesn't work for us, but what works for that team over there might not work for that team over there, right? So Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of questioning around, you know, how can we be equal among teams, right? How can we ensure? And that's why people love the three and two, because that means everyone's in the office three days and home two days. And we, we can check the box and say, we're being equal, right? And so really the conversation is about being equitable and making fair and and giving and and providing the platform that's fair as opposed to equal. So all of a sudden people are worried why technology isn't in the office, right? And so, you know, nobody cared about them before the pandemic. They were just, they were mostly remote working and nobody really paid attention. But now all of a sudden we want this one size fits all that really doesn't work for anyone, quite frankly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Gustavo, we're really close to the end of our time together. And so I'm so happy that that you are here to join us today. And what we do at the end of our episodes is we check out with a feel good. So anything that's making you feel good at the moment, I would I would love for you to start. Absolutely. What's making me feel good is basically many years ago when I started my own consulting firm, I built a global audience by writing lots of stuff. And now because of this new model, because of technology, because people switch, now I was able to start working with people that live in I don't know, Australia, in different countries in Europe and so on and so forth. So for me, it has been a great way of saying, hey, I can help clients 
across the world without having to travel like I used in the past. But it took mm. a little time. It was exhausting and actually get better results. So I think that people need to start reflecting how can we do things differently rather than how we used to do. So in the nutshell, it's like a, I, I, I'm really happy to see how companies have adopted different mentalities. They have been open to struggling, but now they're seeing the light of day because they went through that journey. It's not easy, but building a ritual, a habit, like you say that every morning you wake up and start using your Peloton bike. Well, that requires. So the first time, the second time, the third time that you do something differently is going to feel awkward until you get used to it, until you build that pattern. Great. That That is a real feel good. Thank you. And I, I don't mean to be sucking up to you at all, but my feel good today is this conversation. I'm so thankful and so happy that we got to chat today. You've shared so many amazing words of wisdom with our with our listeners, and you've been a delight to chat with. And so that is making me feel good today. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. You made my day. No, for me, the most important thing is like I try to encourage conversations in the end. I'm not into a, hey, this is what you need to do, but maybe ask, help people ask the right questions so they can find solutions rather than just copy paste what someone else is doing. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, all the time I get the question, is there a playbook for this, right? And that's the point. There is no playbook for this. And you can look to what other companies are doing just as information, but you really have to stick to your guns in terms of what works for your aspirational culture in your organization and what works for your people. So thank you so much for being with us today on Foresight. Thank you, everyone. So Naomi, you mentioned that you were giddy in the interview. You didn't come across as being giddy at all. I thought that was a fantastic interview, so great job. I, I kind of see you as being the roving reporter of Future Forward, so I'm going to give you another, yet another job to add to your long list of jobs that you already have. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I tried to contain my fangirl my fangirl giddiness as much as possible, but I really, really enjoyed meeting Gustavo for the first time, and he was just so gracious sharing his thoughts and insights on his book, so I really, really enjoyed that. Mark, what, what, what did you get out of that episode? Not to put you on the spot, but any insights that you want to share with our listeners? I think there was so many, to be honest. I was quite taken away with the, the amount of content there was to share from both of you, not just Gustavo. I think you both had some great insights and it, it was a very engaging conversation to listen to. So again, at the risk of being a fanboy for you, great job. But there were a number of things that really struck me from what Gustavo said. So there were as you know, things always work in threes for me, but three things that I, I really resonated. One was this idea of proximity doesn't necessarily mean belonging and his analogy, which he said people don't always like to, to marriage, for example, which Sarah, my wife, doesn't listen to this podcast, but I could certainly see the thing in terms of the proximity and belonging part of it, which I think is a key consideration as, as leaders think about hybrid work. The other one, recognizing that we have a lot of listeners who are from the HR audience, but this idea of HR challenging leaders more, I thought was really an important reminder for all of us. And, and I think you, know, you and I have been in situations where we've seen leaders be challenged by HR and it's been very well received. So certainly encourage people to do that. And the last one, it's not a term I'd heard of before, but this idea of the collaboration trap, that concept really resonated with me and his framework of thinking about the quality of work. We touched on the previous podcast episode Gustavo's term deep collaboration versus shallow collaboration, this idea of then thinking about me versus we. As consultants, we do like our two by two. So I could see how that grid and that framework really resonated. So those are the three things that, that struck me. But I, I think the biggest takeaway was a simple one, but a really important one, this idea of just thinking about both discipline and freedom when it comes to hybrid work. It struck me that 
having the discipline he referred to, thinking this stuff through in a very thoughtful way, thinking about the the outcome you want from work was really important to create the freedom that people want was the biggest takeaway for me. So, but yeah, so many great insights in there. It's great conversation and I hope our, our listeners enjoy enjoy hearing it. Yeah, great. I got so much out of the conversation, even though I already had read Gustavo's book and have annotated it and have gone back to it several times. I've printed out some of the canvases that he offers in the book. I I loved so many things that he said. The marriage analogy really resonated with me in terms of, you know, culture isn't about being in proximity with one another. That doesn't necessarily mean a great culture, just like it doesn't necessarily mean a great marriage just because you live under the same roof. I loved that analogy as well. And so I just want to remind everyone that that there is a giveaway and that if you enjoyed this episode and care to share it on LinkedIn through whatever podcast platform you, wherever you get your podcasts, share it on LinkedIn and tag myself or Mark, and you will be eligible to win one of the copies of Gustavo's books signed by Gustavo. So the first 10 listeners who share this episode on LinkedIn and tag one of us will receive a book. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Foresight. If you enjoyed the episode, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Your ratings and reviews also help more people like you find our show so that we can reach more future forward leaders and achieve our mission of making work better. Follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Future Forward and sign up for our weekly newsletter, Foresight, on our website, futureforward.com. That's F-U-T-U-R-E-F-O-H-R-W-A-R-D.com where we share even more about the new world of work. Talk to you next week.